0: everyone. Welcome back to Making Room. This week's episode is so exciting for us to share with you. Our guest today is someone that you love from your family cookbooks, someone that you love from TV, and someone at the heart of the center of American cooking, our friend Jacques Pepin. Now, as much as you know him and may love him, I wanted to share just a little bit more about him before we dive in to give you just a glimpse into the legacy that he leads. Jacques was born in 1935 in France. And always found the kitchen to be a place of both comfort and excitement. He helped his parents in their restaurant, and at age thirteen, began an apprenticeship. He subsequently worked in Paris, ultimately serving as a personal chef to three French heads of state, including Charles de Gaulle. After moving to the United States in 1959, Pepin first worked at Le Pavillon, a historic French restaurant in uh, the heart of New York City. From 1960 to 1970, he was the director of research and new development for Howard Johnson and developed recipes for the chain. At the same time, he earned his bachelor's degree and master's degree at Columbia University. Pepin is the former columnist for New York Times, and his articles have appeared in countless food magazines, particularly Food and Wine, and is also the author of 30 cookbooks, including the renowned classic La Technique his biography, The Apprentice, and most recently, A Grandfather's Lesson. In 2017, he was honored with a feature film documentary of his life in the American Master Series, The Art of the Craft. He is a recipient of honorary doctorate degrees from five American universities and was awarded France's highest civilian honor. He has received 16 James Beard Foundation Awards, including the Lifetime Achievement Award in 2005. And in 2015, he received the American Public Television's Lifetime Achievement Award in the inaugural Julia Child Award, which was presented to him at the Smithsonian's National Museum of American History. A longtime close friend of Julia Child, he starred with her in a PBS series called Julia and Jacques Cooking at Home, which won both an Emmy Award and a James Beard Foundation Award in 2001. For the past 30 years, Papa has taught in the Culinary Arts Program at Boston University, and since 1989, he has served as the Dean of Special Programs at the International Culinary Center in New York City. He has called Connecticut home since 1975, and we don't want to wait any longer. Here is our special guest today, Jacques Pepin. Welcome to Making Room, a podcast by Gather Intentional Living and Everyday Hospitality. Listen, we understand that the way that our culture often portrays hospitality is unattainable, and sometimes even just the thought of opening your door is crippling. Join us in the pursuit to bringing beauty, meaning, and celebration back to the everyday gathering. Go ahead, take your seat. We saved one just for you. Okay, well welcome everybody. Welcome to Making Room. My name is Katie. I am your host, and I am joined by the well-loved, very well-loved and respected host, Jacques. And um, can you can you pronounce your name for me, please, to make sure I say it correctly?
1: Okay, my name goes from Jacques Pépin uh-huh. to Jacques Pepino. So <laughs> <laughs> somewhere, somewhere in between, it's fine. <laughs>
0: Oh, that's funny. I've heard it pronounced a few different ways by a few different hosts, so I wanted to get it straight from you. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I feel like just like the rest of America, I know a bit about you from watching you on TV. I remember being a little girl with my grandfather, my Italian nonna, watching you with Julia Child on the couch in his living room. But I wanted to go deeper. I wanted to dive deeper. So I recently finished The Apprentice, which was so well done. The storytelling was captivating. Um, and I love, I loved getting to learn more about you that way.
1: Good, thank you. Yes, so yeah. I, I, you know, I did that book, La Technique, like almost 50 years ago. No and uh, I had those young chefs who would come and tell me, oh, chef, could you sign that book for me? Uh-huh. Then time went by and people would say, could you sign that book for my mother? I mean, my mother (laughs) loves you. And now people say, you know, my grandfather, my grandmother loved that book. Could you sign it for? (laughs) I
0: I just recently learned of it, but I had seen your cookbooks and I just wanted to know a little bit more. And that was a, a really great place to land, but through it, I learned so much that I'd love to talk about. So one of the earliest things that you talked about was your cooking with your mother and her restaurants. And one night, you could tell me if I'm wrong, your brother rolled over and said to you, I don't want to work near a kitchen when I get older, right? Is that something he said? My brother? Yes.
1: Yeah, probably. But I mean, I had one brother. I had two brothers. Yeah. One of them was uh, was an engineer and uh, the other one already followed what I was doing. So he became a chef like I did.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, so, okay. Uh, but uh, they are both gone, you know, so.
0: Done with yeah. cooking?
1: Yeah. No, they're both gone.
0: Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Okay.
1: One older, one younger. So oh, anyway.
0: wow. Okay. But through that experience, it seemed like your childhood was a little bit different in the way that something sparked and you were like, no, 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 I want to follow after my mother's footsteps and spend the rest of my life in the kitchen. What's your earliest memory of that?
1: Well, you know, at that time, you have to realize we had blinders, you know, so there was no television. Uh, there was no radio even uh we didn't have the newspaper uh yeah. no radio nothing so uh my father was a cabinet maker my mother was a cook in a restaurant so this is wow. it it was one or the other so <laughs> other blinder on your <laughs> eyes i didn't think that i would be a you know a doctor or a, a lawyer that that did not exist and uh, wow. in addition to that when i was small it was during the war so time were pretty frenetic mm. i mean my mother sure. You know, work in a restaurant as a waitress, and my father was left to go into the resistance so uh mm-hmm. it was pretty uh, hectic, and you know the big thing was to get something to eat I mean that right right pop- yeah, yeah
0: okay, so that's what started it. That's fascinating, that blinder perspective. I think a lot of us can relate to that even even now sometimes with our families, right?
1: Are you kidding now? I mean what no. <laughs> The amount of information you have on the internet, all over the place, is just incredible. You know, yeah. so uh, but but not at that time, right. and it was in a sense easier, certainly easier for a young person like me to decide because you didn't really, as I said, thought that I could be a doctor or whatever. So you know, sure. my father was doing that, his father was doing that, his brother was doing that. They were all cabinet makers what wow. we call ébéniste in France which is fancy uh, cabinet maker okay. but uh, I was more excited by the kitchen uh, you know the excitement and all that with my mother mm-hmm. and I have to say that in France I can count 12 restaurants uh, wow. part of my family 12 of them uh, run by women uh, wow. I was the first male to go into that business so my aunt cousin other aunt they all had restaurants so and they were not very impressed by me but no <laughs>
0: I was listening to a recent interview you did um well maybe not recent but somewhat um where you went home after working at some of the big restaurants in paris and your mother and your aunts were telling you you use too much butter too many pans yeah, right, right.
1: <laughs> that's it and at that time i was the chef for the president so you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a mother's job right? <laughs> right um so through some of your early culinary years especially in france you explained a lot of the situations as the training being very uniform. So if someone came in and ate the lobster, it would taste the same from one chef to another. Right. When was it that you really got to exercise your own personal style in the kitchen?
1: Well, it's not everyone. Everyone does it at some point. You know, I teach at Boston yeah. university for 35 years. Wow. Uh, one of the crowds that I do is the ultimate meal. I used to do at least, in fact, I'm going there tomorrow. So, uh, uh, and the ultimate meal, I did a demonstration. I do a roast chicken, a boiled potato, and a salad, which has to be done exactly the right way. So I do the demonstration that I have 15 students. So each one has a basket with the chicken did that mm-hmm. too. And uh, so they all are going to do it, you know, to show it. And the first thing that I said, say, don't try to blow my mind and do it differently to create and, and stuff because the paradox uh, yeah. is that you want to be different. But the point is, is that you are different. There is no way you can do it exactly the same way that the, the person next to you. I know Ara, with those 15 chicken, I'm going to have three undercooked, three overcooked, <laughs> two cold, one too hot, and so forth. But I will have 15 different chickens because it's 15 different people. So when you learn how mm-hmm. to cook, the idea is to conform. You know, and we did that in France. I did that for many, many years, at least 10 years or more. You work in that restaurant, you take the habit of that restaurant, you look at it through the eye of that chef, through Mm -hmm. his sense of aesthetic, through his sense of taste. Whether or not it coincides Mm -hmm. with you, it doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. So you accumulate accumulate a great amount of knowledge this way. At some point, however, you cannot Mm -hmm. escape yourself. You know, at some point, you're going to do your stuff, but you have absorbed all of this you're going yeah. to give it back, but now you are going to do it with your sense of aesthetic, with your sense of taste and all that. Because as I say, at some point, you cannot escape yourself. I mean, if you huh. take me to the, the the five, the 10 greatest restaurants in New York or in, in America, yeah. uh, I will pick up probably three or four and say, this is extraordinary. Three or four, mm-hmm. I would say, those are really very good. And a couple of, well, I, I'm not sure about those. Your reaction will probably be totally different, and Uh, if we are three, four, five people, it will be different. Because I choose those three restaurants because they happen to coincide exactly with my sense of taste, with my sense of aesthetic. So it's purely a a narcissistic reflection on myself, you know. And and we all like this. You cannot escape yourself, wherever wherever you're born in the world, yeah. Whatever. Dishes you had at a child, which are very important, you know, yeah. kind of visceral taste, uh, you're going to react differently than I would. And it's normal. Mm-hmm. But at the beginning, don't do that at the beginning. The first yeah. time you do a recipe, you change it completely. No. Hmm. First time you do a recipe, you should do it exactly the way it has been written, whoever did it. And uh, if it comes out good, you're likely to do it again. Yeah. Second time, you take a faster look. By the third time, you say, ah, I think I put a bit more tomato in there. And it, and after a year, yeah. you massage that recipe enough. So now it does your imprint and it does your sense of aesthetic, your taste, and you don't even remember where it comes from. You know, that yeah. progress, that's the way it should be, in my opinion.
0: That's yeah. amazing. And I love that permission to kind of to start where you'll be comfortable, start kind of in the safe zone and then the permission yes. to alter it and add your your of worldview course. as of you course. go. A lot of you people will. don't think that way, right? I don't think so.
1: Of course, i have like, with a yeah. friend here. Uh, my friend, doctor, with from India. Another uh-huh. one, Reza, is from Iran. You know, I mean, he probably put more Tabasco or more hot stuff in there. <laughs> that's his style. That's when he yeah. was a, a kid and so forth. So yeah, of course, depending where you come from, you're going to have different uh-huh. tastes and different reactions.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. That's I what America
1: is what america is all about i mean twenty-four thousand restaurants in new york used to be at least so you know the amount of ethnicity the amount of ethnicity we have in america is is, uh, unmatched any other place in the world so Mm -hmm. you know there is always something to learn
0: right who would you say was there one of your apprenticeships or um like a chef that had a particular impact on your style or a restaurant probably
1: probably but uh uh, it is hard to define after after so many years. I know that right. some some chefs I looked at uh, for the direction that they gave you for the stature mm-hmm. of the person. Other people I look at for the taste. Other people I look at for the technique. You see, as a professional chef, you have to become a technician first, which you don't really have to do at home. Because yeah. if it's 10 o'clock in the morning <clears throat> and at 12 o'clock you have 100 people sitting down to eat, Mm -hmm. it's not a question of doing it you have to do it very fast and too so you learn those techniques over and over and over again Mm -hmm. so that they become part of uh, your DNA you know you don't have to think about it I can talk to the camera talk to and my hand are working too because I transcend the level at which I have to think about those techniques you know as opposed to a beginner so to Mm -hmm. to be a professional chef first you have to be a good technician and uh, if you happen to uh, to have talent, and if you happen to have, uh, uh, you know, imagination, then you take it further. So uh, that being said, I do know a fair amount of professional chefs who are great technicians, run a chicken well, and are relatively lousy cook. For the food, <laughs> food is okay, but not that great. Conversely, I've worked with people at home which mm-hmm. are going to do a better meal out of those ingredients. Wow. the kitchen may look like a disaster area when it's finished, there is you know, leftover stuff too because you don't uh-huh. work in the same way. So it's two different types of things, you know?
0: Hmm, that's so interesting. Okay, would you say, I just thought of this, would you say that everyone can be a chef? No, okay, let's say at home chef, at home, with that yeah. lens in mind.
1: To, to, a, to a certain extent, you know? I mean, yeah. the point is that you cannot cook indifferently you know, I mean, cooking is uh, maybe the purest act of love in that sense. Yeah, you cook yeah. for someone else, You whether it's you, your brother or your little kid or your grandmother mm-hmm. or your lover or whatever it is, but yeah. you always cook for someone else. So it's uh, it's a pure love without any uh, anything attached to it, uh-huh. in a sense. And uh, you cannot cook, and I say differently, and some people are not interested in food or have no palate or don't really care. Uh, okay. they, keep, they keep munching on a the, on the sandwich. They never sit down at the table. <laughs> if you ask them what they are eating, they don't okay. even know. Oh, well, 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 I don't know. So, Funny, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is very different, certainly for me. And many people, I mean, raised in a different way. Right. I mean, for me, maybe the most secure place in the house for a child coming back from school is to sit in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. I did my kid, to hear the voice okay. of your mother, the voice of your father the cling of the instrument, the smell of the kitchen, and the taste. You yeah, know, that yeah. uh, stay with you the rest of your life. Those are very essential dishes. I was talking to a friend a few days ago, and mm-hmm. he said there is no one who did that particular stew the way his mother used to do or roast or whatever it was. And oh, finally, he nice. discovered that she already burned it. <laughs> that's what it was. And that's the taste he likes. He can still get it the same way.
0: How funny, that memory. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Goodness. Well, after your many, many years and vast experiences in France, you ended up in New York, which you thought was going to be temporary, right?
1: Yeah, a year, two years, one year. Yeah. Years. And how yeah. many
0: years, how many years later are we now?
1: <laughs> well, yeah, 59. I came at the end of 59. So, you know, what, what 60 years, 60 some yeah. years? Yeah.
0: Two years, 60 years. It's all the same now.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I am uh, I'm certainly much more American now than French. Oh, and wow. My accent is more Connecticut than New York, of course. But, uh...
0: <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, so, I've heard you say before um, that some people say Americans have no taste. And you've said that it's not that Americans don't have taste, they don't have technique, at least when you first got here. What were your first impressions when you first came to America and started to interact with the American food culture?
1: I, I would never say that Americans have no taste. It depends right. entirely. On people, some do, some not do, but certainly when I came to America in 1859, Mm -hmm. I had an apartment uh, in top of a restaurant on 50th and First Avenue in New York, and going to the supermarket next door, it -hmm. was actually my first supermarket, which I thought was terrific, because I didn't have to go to the butcher for that, to this, to this, to Uh fifteen different, so everything was there, (laughs) and that's a great idea. Uh, however, there was a great deal of package, package, package. Yep. The meat was great. Beef, lamb, mm. lobster too. Vegetable did not really exist. Uh, mm-hmm. There was maybe parsley, but certainly no. there was no leek, no shallot. There was one type of uh, lettuce, and that was iceberg. This is it. So nothing wow. else, nothing. No special oil, no special thing. No uh, root vegetable, nothing, you know. So it was wow. another world. I remember asking the people where are the mushrooms? They say aisle 5. That was canned mushroom there. <laughs> there was no mushroom. Wow. So uh, wow. it was another world. Supermarket mm-hmm. have never been as beautiful uh, as they are now in this country. So it's it's totally different.
0: Wow. How about the techniques? What were you um what were you noticing about the cooking techniques compared to home or France?
1: Well, no, at that point, there is no difference. Remember, I made the difference between a technician, a cook, a professional cook who yeah, has yeah, to yeah. learn to produce and all that, and someone who cooks at home. And yeah. of course, the more you cook at home, the better you come. The, you know, it takes some of the grudgery out of cooking if you go, go faster and better. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, the technique applies not only in the saving of time. Uh, in mm-hmm. the saving of, uh, of uh, movement, you know, in the saving sure. of time, the way you... I mean, I cook at home, I may use the food processor five times before I wash it, because yeah. uh, I know the first time I'm gonna do some uh, fresh breadcrumbs in it, so I'm fine. After maybe mushroom, I still don't stop. By the time I do uh, chicken or something, I have to wash it, you know. Likewise with a yeah. pot, I'll use it three, four times, just rush it out in between. Yeah, I mean, we're doing the video now, I don't know if you've seen any videos that I have on Facebook. You yeah. know, so since the beginning of the pandemic, we've done like 220. Goodness. And I do them with my friend, Tom Hopkins, who lives in Madison as well. Okay. He has been a photographer for th- for almost 40 years. Goodness. for uh, Many, many books that I've done. And he's the one uh, doing the shooting and all that. Uh, and uh, so he had a fixed camera on me and he had uh, his hand uh, you know his, his telephone to take close up on top of me and i am here i do the do, uh, I do i do the cooking and i do the dishes and he filmed. there is two people yeah. in the kitchen that's it there is no one else
0: no so, sous chef from the beginning.
1: <laughs> so you know it's true yeah. you know so uh, mm-hmm. i uh, you learn how to to work very uh, you know, fast and well, and you know, the more you cook, the easier it becomes to a certain. Sure, extent.
0: sure, absolutely, it makes me feel better that you're using your iPhone overhead too. Because when we record classes here, we do the same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> always wishing we had more equipment, but <laughs> it works well. You make it work, right? Um, you know,
1: i i I've done the I've done thirteen series of twenty six show. For wow. KQED, the PBS station, to the 100, 100 of shows. And I remember when the last series, maybe five, six, six, seven years ago, yeah. five, no five years ago, whatever, they had to raise one point three million dollars each time we did a series. They have to raise that. I belong wow. to uh, you know I'm a member of AFTRA, you know American Radio Television Artists, so I am pay scale. that amount to basically nothing so my point is that i never know if they raise the money so i did the show with sham but i never know where all of that money goes because as i say when we do it in the kitchen i go to the market spend a couple of hundred dollars of food and we did 10 show usually when we do it we do 10 10 of those small show of five six minutes we do 10 in one day with Uh them and it costs basically just the food The food that I bought at the market Yes. (laughs) me. So, you know, uh, yes, it's really uh, very inexpensive to do it this way.
0: Yes, absolutely. And so well done. I know people love them. I love looking at the comments of people joining in on what you're doing. It's really fascinating.
1: uh, The day before yesterday, we just won the IACP award. You know, ISCP is International Association Culinary Professional, so it's a big organization. We want for the best uh, video show or whatever.
0: It's amazing. Congratulations. Who would have thought? Right?
1: Yeah. My daughter was very happy. She's a big yes. producer. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: She's the <laughs> one doing it. Oh, that's amazing.
0: That. Well, congratulations all around to everyone involved. <laughs> Um, I want to talk about your first six months in America. I heard it said that you met all of the formidable chefs um, of that time during your first six months, including Julia yes. Child. Is that right? Yes.
1: Yes. I mean, so very I, quick. I work at the Pavilion in New York, yep. the greatest restaurant there. Through the Pavilion, I met Craig Labour, who started at the New York Times. And through him, I met James Beard and Julia Child. So those that are. Craig LeBorne, James Beard, Julia Child are the kind of the trinity of cooking in the U.S. And I knew them yeah. less than six months after I was here, just to show you how small the food world. The food world was very, very small you know, yeah. at that time.
0: It's amazing to think about. Um, when what years was Julia in France?
1: Well, the, the, she always said we started cooking together. And yeah. uh, well, she was 23, 23 or 24 years older than me. We started cooking right. together because I went into apprenticeship in 1949, and uh-huh. she went to France in 1949. Wow! Uh, and she stayed there for two, three years. And uh, when, uh, in fact, the first time that I met her uh, in 1960, spring, we spoke French because her French was uh, certainly better than my English at the time. Wow. She just came back from France. Yes,
0: that's there's something so special about communicating in a language that you're comfortable in, right? We. Of course- Yeah, we learned to speak Thai um, when we were living in Thailand and it's Uh, almost like a different part of your personality comes alive with every language, right? Exactly. Yeah.
1: To a point, to a point, because for me we play we play Pétanque Bull here, which is a kind of batchy ball, you know. We play actually the day before yesterday. we were a group of like 40-50 people. There is Mm -hmm. five or six, seven French in it and American, all my friends. So we have discussion. I'm there to my friend, I may speak French. Someone come in, then we end up continuing in English too. Yeah. My my point is that if the day after you told me, what did you talk about? I could say, well, we talked about this and that. Did you talk about it in French or in English? I would not remember.
0: I know, yeah. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? Because your brain kind of, yeah, I get it. It all, you know, enters your brain the same way. Yeah, that's fascinating. and I love that you have that community to kind of share that with too here. That's good. Right. So with your relationship with Julia, there's no question that food is what brought you together, but what uh, would you say it was on top of that? So you had food, you had the table, what else helps you to kindle that friendship?
1: Well, that's the point. She always said we started together because the style of cooking when she was there hmm. in the first three, years coincided with the style of cooking that I had. Uh, you know, when I was a young chef and so forth. So it was, and it's interesting because we did many shows on television. We got many letters that that she was much more French than I was. She was much more French because she said, that's the way we used to, I said, Julia, that's the way we used to do it 30 years ago. We don't do it. Yeah, absolutely. This is. in addition to that, people don't realize that the series we did on television, we had no recipe. So ow, we had no recipes. So uh why did I put uh, Scallion in that dish? Because they happened to be on the table. We are not you know following any recipe. In fact, when we finished the series, uh it took two years to go on the air because Knuff Random House was doing a book and they had to look at all those shows at Noseam to uh, try to duplicate those recipes to you know. Two years later, they would call me and say, how much mushroom did you put in there? I (laughs) remember the dish. So, so, you know, it was a reversal because usually when you do, I did all those series on television, usually you come with at least, at least a manuscript of of the the book so that you get an idea for the back kitchen and all that to know what we are doing. Yeah. But not with Julia. So in addition to that too, I may add that I did many, many shows and a PBS show is 30 minutes. And uh, the first two or three series that I did and the show, they say, you know, editing is very expensive. So we have to do it on time. So I have like three dish or four and I have someone going out with a sign, 15 minutes, nine minutes, seven minutes, one wow. minute, I wrap it up, the 30 seconds. <laughs> so sometimes it can be a, a, you know, a bit uh, uh, stressing. So yeah. after I refused to do it, but I did a show, a series with my daughter because she was going to be, but with Julia, When we did it, she said, we're going to cook. When it's finished, we'll tell you. I think we did the longest show with 110 minutes for the 30-minute show. (laughs) I I don't know what happened to the the cutout. I I wish I would know where they are. (laughs) But so we opened a bottle of wine. We start cooking. We cook until it was finished. Fine. And they had to edit it.
0: That's great. That's That's what what people like.
1: That was easier to do.
0: And that's why you guys won so many awards probably, right? For the show. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. I I love that. As I'm hearing you talk about your relationship, there was food that brought you together, but really so many shared life experiences along the way that helped you guys connect in that like special way, right?
1: True, all of those years, you know, and you yeah. know, we people often discuss the fact that we we disagree on television we we too, we argue all the time. She didn't <laughs> like uh, black pepper and uh, uh, she wanted white pepper and uh, she didn't like kosher salt. I like kosher. But I mean that was very small thing that we sure. uh, we agree on the importance of the quality of the ingredient, on the simplicity of the recipe, on yeah. sharing the food with the family, on you know mm. the all m- most important thing, you know. So
0: yeah, that's good. That's special. I was reading about how um, one time there was a kind of like an argument, I guess you can call it, of mar- uh, marshmallows on sweet potatoes. Oh, right. something that, like
1: that. Maybe, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> no, I'm not crazy about marshmallow.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. (laughs) I took your side as I was reading that. (laughs) Um, okay. So, um, I actually had written down a quote that I heard that was particularly powerful. You actually just referenced it a few minutes ago. Um, I'm going to read it word for word as I have it written. Um, the smell and taste in the kitchen will stay with you the rest of your life. Food becomes love, home, security, and family. Food memories are very powerful. Do you feel that in our culture, um The way that we are approaching food and the amount of time that we're spending with food is changing.
1: It is changing, but you know my mm. quote there that I was talking about those yeah. young kids in, in 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 Afghanistan or in Iran, young American soldier there. You know, what do you think they they they, they think of at night when they wake up in time of danger? Uh, the guy may think of the, the, the fried chicken of his father or a manhattan chowder, or a lobster roll from Connecticut. So at that time, the food mm-hmm. itself in mm-hmm. situation, transcend the situation philo- transcends the the physiological function of food. It's much more mm-hmm. than nourishment. It is home, it is security, it is love, it is family. So, and this is what happened. And those dish that you have as child uh, do that, you know, they, they right. brought you back there and they are very important. That's why it's extremely important to cook with your kid, to cook with them. I mean, when Claudine, my daughter, she's in her 50 now, when she was a year and a half old, I hold her and she stirred the pot. I said a mélange, so she oh. will stir it, so she, quote, eat it, because she, quote, made it with her father. <laughs> and likewise with my granddaughter. My granddaughter, <clears throat> she's taller than me now, but uh, when she was small, she had a little stool next to me in the kitchen, and I said, okay, on. give me the salati. Do you think it's washed enough? Okay, give me a pot. Okay, let's go get some parsley. We go to the garden. I say, no, wow. that chive, tasty. No, that parsley, that chive, that tarragon. Okay, we go back to the kitchen. I say, let's go to the market. To the market, I said, get me some pear. Make sure they are ripe. Did you smell them? You think those pear are ripe? Those tomatoes, you think they are ripe? And then she holds it. She gave it back to me. We said That creates a, a, a canvas, you know, for yeah. discussion with us. And, of course, the biggest discussion is when you sit down and then eat the food together and one discussion bring to another discussion. So those yeah. were very, very important things for uh, my family, certainly.
0: Yes, absolutely. And I think kind of a good lens for us to look at as a culture, too, to create that kind of sense of home and memories and security um, for our own Ooh. families. Now, I I feel like and you could tell me if you, you think differently, I feel like we're steering away from a value on. Um, slow cooking and long time at the table, a long time spent. There's this very like hustle culture. There's a lot of rushing happening, but because of that, I feel like there's consequences almost right. There's more disconnect from one another. There's more disconnect from our families. Um, If someone feels that way, like that's the reality of their home, what advice would you give them to start, start in the kitchen, start a food culture in their own home? Well, I uh,
1: agree, and I disagree with you. Okay, there. yeah. You know, during during the pandemic, I'm sure that uh, being close together costs a lot of uh, divorce. But. Uh, <laughs> it uh, brought a lot of people together too. You and, know, I mean, I have that Facebook. We used to have like 300,000 people. I think now it's close to 2 million people oh. that we have uh, and that people who look at all those shows we did during the pandemic and so forth. Mm-hmm. So it does bring people together. Remember that uh, uh, when I came here in the 50s, there was nothing in the supermarket. As I told you, look at the way it is now. It was just after TV dinner. In the 60s, with Women Liberation, Organic gardening, wow. people reacted against TV dinner. And so, and now in the last few years, the chefs are going back towards farmer, local food, organic food, uh, going to market to work with farmer and all that together. So no, we're going back the other way. But there is always right. some people who are more on one side, more on the other side. Sure. Uh, people, when I came to America, I didn't really know much. There was not really great bread, French bread, cheese, wine. Now, you know, we produce extraordinary wine in California, too. We produce incredible bread, cheese, charcuterie, also the yeah. making of pâté and all of that. Did not exist. It's all there now. So we haven't been yeah. going back on the contrary. And mm-hmm. look at all the people in the food world now. When I came sure. to America, I did not know one American chef. All the chef I knew in New York from wow. the big hotel restaurant where Italian, French, a lot of Swiss, German, Hmm. uh, you name it from all over the place, not really American chef. And after the the creation of the CIA, the Culinary Institute of America, who Hmm. actually started in New Haven, Connecticut and moved back up to New York. Now we have extraordinary chef in this country from Thomas Keller to Tom Colicchio to uh, Suzanne Gouin, Uh, you know, uh, yeah, extraordinary chef. We didn't exist before.
0: It's amazing. It's amazing. And I I love your perspective on that too. I think it's, um, it's a healthy perspective. I just remember, you know, just being a part of a few international cultures. I've been a part of a few that really savor the table and spend a long time and coming back to new England, it almost felt like, wait, we're done. Like I'm not, I want to talk to you more. I want to eat more, you know, (laughs) it's um, kind of just like a value conflict almost, but I think you're right. I think there's hope it's changing.
1: Yeah. And look at the restaurants when I came to America, uh, in New York, all mm-hmm. the great restaurants, so-called continental restaurants, were so-called yeah. French restaurants. Most uh-huh. of them totally misspelled. On the thing, nothing to <laughs> it. There was no great Italian restaurant. Hmm. There was only uh, spaghetti and both small, but great fancy Italian restaurant did not exist. Uh, oh. Chinese, Japanese, did I look at that now.
0: I know. Now, uh, uh,
1: there is much less uh, much that influence and uh, emphasis on French cooking now. There are extraordinary yeah. Italian restaurants, ja- Japanese, Chinese, and other countries. You know, so yes, yeah. it does a great deal.
0: Yeah, I'm thankful for that, right? I think it makes us yeah. more of aware course. of the world. It expands our palate. Yeah,
1: that's Thai really important. I love Thai food. Yeah,
0: do you? What do you, what do you oh, like? Yeah. what do you, What's your What's your go to order?
1: Uh, I don't really remember any of that's the specific- okay name, but, uh, you know, uh, uh, my wife loves to cook Thai and Vietnamese as well as the Japanese. So uh, okay. it's interesting also because I have done 31 cookbook and I'm often considered maybe the quintessential French chef. And you open my, uh, my book and on page 32, you have a black bean soup with banana and cilantro on top. <laughs> my, my wife being born in New York from a Puerto Rican mother and Cuban father. Then after, wow. I may have a, 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 a lobster a, a lobster roll from Connecticut and that New England clam yeah. chowder, then a shirashi sushi, you know, type of sushi Japanese. So right. I'm probably the quintessential American chef now. <laughs> <laughs> after all of those years and book, you know. That's so the, okay. The people Usually. think I'm French because they say that I have an accent. I don't really think. <laughs> totally.
0: That's funny. You're well-rounded, right? All right. <laughs> um. It's fun. with Thai food. People typically usually go for the rice dishes or the noodle. If you had to choose, which way do you go? The noodle, yeah. Oh, that's my team. That's good. Do you like spicy? Yeah.
1: Oh yes, I do. Yeah, of course. Uh, I like
0: it. that's it's wonderful.
1: Spicy. Yeah.
0: Yeah, me too. And curry. Do you know what color curry you like?
1: The Madras type, more of the green curry. You know, oh so,
0: yes. Uh, okay, we're on the same we're on the same palette here. That's good. <laughs>
1: Oh well, I'm lucky there. Yeah. Okay.
0: <laughs> no, me too. My husband is the polar opposite. He likes the red curry and the rice dishes. So we never share. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs>
1: okay. Well, you have to share. You have to convince him. I to use him with your cooking.
0: Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Um, it was funny in Thailand. Usually the way people order is to share on the table. And as Americans, I was so offended when everyone would eat off my plate. I'm like, no, 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 this is mine. <laughs> but Where it caught me. Where
1: were you in Thailand?
0: Uh, Chiang Mai in the north.
1: Oh, in the north, yeah. So yeah. I haven't been there.
0: Okay. it's a, it's a, to- Have you been to Bangkok?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been to Bangkok. Okay.
0: It's yes. totally different. It's kind of like New York and D.C. They're almost like different countries.
1: Of course. Yeah. Well, it's the same yeah. thing if you go to North Vietnam and South Vietnam, you know, it's quite different. Or huh. in China, well, you know, it's very different.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, we didn't travel much, but loved our time in Chiang Mai. Um, I wanted to talk for a second to the host that might be intimidated as we're talking about technique and um, learning different international cuisines. I feel like there's a lot of intimidation in our culture, especially with Pinterest and all these new magazines. People don't even know where to start. Um, what would you say to the person that feels intimidated by the kitchen?
1: Well, I would tell, like people tell me, you know, I don't know how to cook. Right uh, do I, I said, Do you have a friend who cook? Say, Yeah, my cousin or whatever. I say, Okay, next time you go there, you say, Can I come an hour ahead and cook with you in the kitchen? So you come an hour ahead, you bring a bottle of wine. By the time you finish the wine, you don't really care whether the chicken <laughs> is burnt oh, or not, anyway. But no different. So, you know, have a glass of wine, relax, and start with. You know if you put a bit of salt on the chicken put it into a 425 degree oven for an hour without even looking at it it may not be the greatest chicken that you <laughs> have but it'd be perfectly fine so uh, uh you know yeah. it, it can be pretty simple
0: you know so yeah. and i love i love that it's kind of um Main characteristic of your technique and the way America knows you is kind of a focus on the basics, right? You have to master some of the basics. And I know we have a family member that said, you know, thanks to you, every time he makes a roasted chicken or a turkey, he listens for it to sing.
1: Oh
0: boy. Uh, right?
1: I hope I didn't ruin his life.
0: <laughs> Uncle Bryce, if you're listening <laughs> now, he's a wonderful chef. Um, What are some of those other kind of like key basics that you encourage the everyday chef
1: with? Well, you know, you go to the market. I mean, for me, cooking is seasonal, you know, as much as I can. Uh, there is absolutely no question that in full summer when I have a beautiful tomato out of my garden, you know, at the right temperature, it's ripe. Mm. A dash of salt on top, a bit of olive oil. I don't need any more embellishment. It's the best, you know? And, uh, so follow the season because that tomato is by far the best at that time of the year. It's mm-hmm. also nutritionally the best for you. That's when it has reached all the potential that it wants right. to have. And thirdly, it's really cheap that time of the year. <laughs> so, I mean, why wouldn't you follow the season? Right. You know, uh, yes, follow the season. If you get great, if you get great, uh, great ingredients, really,
0: yeah.
1: if you don't screw it up too much, uh you're going to have good food you know yeah. the simplest way of doing it and the uh, the greater the amount of ingredient uh, the greater the quality of the ingredient yeah. the better result that you're going to have you know I show yeah. I did a little book called uh, a grandfather's lesson where I cook with my granddaughter when she was what about 10 10, 10 years old too oh, wow. and there is a video in there showing her how to do very simple stuff you know mm. like I said okay you like fish I said, we're going to do that. uh, I think it was uh, salmon or maybe, uh, yeah, salmon or or... anyway. So I said, here is a non-stick pan. You put it skin side down, right on this. Uh, The pan was cold even. You put it on the stove, all blast. Mm -hmm. Put a cover on top of it. After three, four, five minutes, lower the heat. And you continue continue cooking it like this for about, uh, uh, I forget exactly the the time, depending on the thickness, about 10, 12 minutes. And the point is, you never turn the, 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 the fish, you never turn anything, it's cooked only on the skin, there is no fat in uh-huh. the pan, but the, the salmon really enough fat to round it. Wow. And because I cover it, there is enough steam coming out to cook the top, so hmm. it's barely cooked on top, it's crispy on the bottom. And during yeah. that time, I said, okay, get that tomato here, cut it into four pieces, put it uh-huh. in the food processor, food processor with a dash of salt, paper, a good tablespoon of olive oil, and I have a beautiful red puree. I say, put that in a, a bowl and put it in the microwave, like one minute, so it's not cold. The fish comes out, we pour that sauce, just warm a fresh tomato on top. She said, oh, that's really good. You know, doing things like this.
0: Yeah, unbelievable. Food, you know? Yeah. Yeah, And I think that's so true. Like People just need the opportunity and the space to experiment, right? Without fear of failure, to learn right. the basics, to test, try, repeat, things like that. Is she an amazing cook today or does she just eat what you make?
1: <laughs> <laughs> she eats what I fed, but now she's looking at college this week. So uh, okay. yeah, she's going to college next year. She's finishing her high school. So now her interest, which from age three to about 10, 12, more into cooking with me, now she'd get some other interest.
0: <laughs> oh, that's amazing. What does she want to study? Anything food related?
1: Well, global business or something like that. Oh. She want to go to. You want to go to Boston university too. Oh, I
0: see.
1: And her mother went there too. I, there too.
0: That's um, amazing. Okay. Yeah. I got it. I got it. Well, that's admirable as well. And then she can always come home for a good meal. Right. Right. <laughs> um. Okay. I want to talk about your art for a second, because I think that I love how you incorporate art into your legacy and your story. I feel like people know you for cooking and your incredible art. And I think that in adulthood, not enough um, adults have a creative outlet, but that creativity is really what brings us fully alive. Um, what What has art been for you? Like what What role has it um, played in your life?
1: Well, art has been very important for me. I mean, actually the, the, the end of November, all of December, we're going to have a, a big show at the Stanford Museum. Uh, uh, okay. So we have like, we put in like 70 piling together to, to bring there at that point. Uh, when, I, when, I, when I start cooking, as a professional, I don't use a recipe, you know. <laughs> you put something together and you react to it. It looks this way, you put tablespoon of water, it looks dry. Then yeah. I taste, then I adjust. Then I taste, I adjust. Here I have my friend. Tom, who just come in, he's the one who tape all those shows and all oh,
0: that. And need the one who, who
1: does the, the show. Yeah, I have an outside, and he's, uh, he's the one running the outside. Say hello. hello. So, uh, <laughs> hi,
0: so, nice uh, to meet you.
1: <laughs> so, when I cook, I have that type of progression testing and adjusting, testing, adjusting. And when I paint a little bit of the same thing, I start with an idea on a painting, but very often it moves in a totally different direction. But at sure. some point, however, the painting or the shape kind of take a hold of me and then I react to it. Mm-hmm. I need a shade there, I need a color there, I need I, I don't even need any reason mm-hmm. for it. I just react to it this way. So there are similarity in the uh, you know in the in the reaction that I had toward cooking or, or painting and so forth.
0: Yeah, would you say it's been kind of um like the term self-care? Has it been a form of self-care for you or you know?
1: Oh yes, certainly. I mean, yeah. you know, I've been planning. I have planning from the early '60s and all that, so a long, long time ago. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, though, planning satisfied me like uh, uh, cooking satisfied me. But you know, mm-hmm. I uh, built tables too. I built. Uh, uh, I have a big bathroom with with tile and, and granite and uh, mosaic. Mm-hmm. All of that I did myself. So I like to work with my hand. Any of this kind of. Uh, yeah, that's probably from my father's side now. You know. Sure.
0: Look at you. I know you're <laughs> kind of honoring them in both ways. That's really that's really incredible. No, I wish you know in our culture that we um, put more of a value and an emphasis on finding a creative outlet as adults instead of just yes. being so career driven, success driven. I feel like it brings us to life and helps us kind of almost recover. Um, oh, yes. yeah. from the stresses you, of life.
1: You're absolutely right, especially in our time of the uh, you know, time of the of iPad and the computer and the thing. Uh, people need to work with their hand. You have yeah. to work with your hand, whether you're cooking or whether you're building a table or sure. whether you're panning or whether you're doing the garden or whether you are. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to use your hand and your body, too, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I'm so glad you have that, and I'll be looking out for that date because um, I I haven't been to a proper gallery in a very long time. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I'll be excited to come. You said next year,
1: 2022. Uh, no, 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 no. This year it's uh, we oh, yeah. we we're bringing those planning in a couple of weeks,
0: no, and okay.
1: uh, the show is starting. Uh, I think at the end of November, but the official day, I think, the second of October. Uh, the second of December. Okay. Uh, uh, the second of December is the official opening. If oh. you send an email, if you send an email to Kelsey, you know my assistant, yes. she give you the exact date and all that, and maybe. I'd
0: love it. I'd love it. I'll be there. I'll be there. Okay. <laughs>
1: okay.
0: How exciting! Is this your first art show?
1: No. Oh, I've done a few. One on Stony Creek many many years ago. Yeah. One in the Guildford about. Three, three, four years ago, something like that. Okay. You know, a few, it's a lot of work to put those things together. I know. So that's I why Tommy is doing it now. I'm not doing it.
0: So. <laughs> How fun. I'm excited for you. <laughs> um, there were a few questions that came in from our community um, that I just wanted to ask so they can hear them as well. They're sharing any excitement with me. Um, one of Someone was wondering when you're um, either feeling really busy or it's really late, um, what do you cook? What are your go-to's? Well, you need something you know, to come together fast.
1: Yeah, I open the refrigerator. First, I put wow. a pot of water on the stove. That's what takes the longest. Pot of water with like two, <laughs> sort of three, four cups of water. up on the refrigerator and I do what my wife used to call fridge soup. Fridge uh-huh. soup is less wilted lettuce in there, a piece of carrot, a piece of zucchini, a <laughs> piece of whatever I got. And, a, and I finish uh, with uh, a handful of uh, couscous or or, uh, or vermicelli or something to thicken it, you Mm -hmm. know, or even oatmeal and a piece of butter on top. And I have a soup in 15, 20 minutes, you know, so. uh, Amazing. Yeah. Anything like this.
0: That's amazing. Um, I think in Italian, that's called jambot. It means it means kitchen soup
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: or like refrigerator soup. That's funny. So I grew up on that as well with my grandpa. Um, if you were to send someone, if someone's looking to get one of your many cookbooks, um, what are a few that you would say they should start with or the ones that you're most proud of?
1: That's an impossible question because the best <laughs> book that I did probably, Wisdom, was in the, the, in the 80s called The Art of Cooking. It took three years. We took 34,000 pictures and we kept to 3,000. We did two volumes with 1,500 pictures each uh, wow. and all that. That, in my opinion, professionally, probably the best book that I've done. It's also the one who sold the list of any book that I've done. Isn't that year. funny? <laughs> so, you know, I went to Long Island Sound to to fish to get a skate but I wanted to show you how to take the wing out of skate and you cannot get the whole wing. You you cannot get the whole skate, you gotta get wing. I went in my pond here to get Uh frogs so I could show you how to take the skin out of frogs (laughs) and all that. Now, you don't have to do it. You continue the recipe. I bone out a whole baby lamb or two or many, many things like this. You know, Mm -hmm. that, uh, so I have this. And on the other hand, I have two series on PBS called Fast Food My Way. And I wanted to show people how to use the supermarket on a prep cook. See, when you are a professional chef, you have a prep cook come in the morning, he boil out the chicken, he bows out the fish, uh, uh, he slice the mushroom, wash the spinach, shut yep. the shallot. So I get to the stove and someone orders a piece of fish. Well, the fish is there. I grab it, the shallots are there, the mushrooms are there, I put I put a bit of white wine, it comes to a bowl, cook for like a minute, finish it with a bit of cream. I did that recipe in like three, four, five, six minutes. Because I have have all the prep, you know. So I wanted to show in those series how to use the supermarket as a prep cook. You go buy, you know, a boneless, skinless breast of chicken, pre-washed spinach, pre-sliced mushroom. You have a non-stick pan. And when I did those shows, I used to have the package from the supermarket right there to me. And uh, I used to do either three or four dishes. In the 29 minutes and I would start from the beginning and do those dishes just to show wow. that you can do. So it's totally different this and uh, maybe the book that I'm the most known for is called La Technique, you know, uh, yes. the, yeah, the show the manual dexterity, the meditation, you know, of uh, of cooking and certainly chef use this one probably more than any other so but they are different. Then the last book that I did here was called Quick and Simple and it's a little bit in the style of what I do on okay. those videos for Facebook, pretty fast and simple. And, you know, so so those are different books, really.
0: Yeah. So basically get all of them. That's what we're saying. Yeah. Well,
1: <laughs> no, but, you know, I have done books for the Cleveland Clinic for cardiac patients, wet loss, that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Then I, I had for 10 years, I wrote for the New York Times in the 80s. And uh, I had a column called uh, The Purposeful Cook. Which was to show you how to cook for a family of six for the least amount of money. So those, uh, those are, uh, we are very focused, you know, either that was money or health or the clinical technique or technique. So those yeah. are different types of focus, you know. So,
0: sure, that's so good. That's so yeah. You're so well rounded when it comes to that, and I love that you've you've themed them all because then whoever is looking to buy a book, they could find the one that fits their lifestyle best. That's exactly. great. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, there are three questions that we ask every guest and I'd love to hear your answers as well. Excuse me. Um, the first one is something that you have found to be beautiful lately and it can, can be anything, whatever comes to mind.
1: Something that I found to be beautiful.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, this
1: morning, this, this morning, the flower in my garden that just came out with oh. beautiful flowers in front of my nose there. Yes. That's beautiful.
0: Oh. I feel like I the flowers. My, are. Go ahead.
1: No, the- When I woke him up this morning, he was smiling at me.
0: Oh, <laughs> yeah. is his name Gaston?
1: His name is Gaston. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. I've
0: seen him in some of the interviews.
1: <laughs> oh, right. yeah. Right.
0: <laughs> I feel like the flowers this season are staying beautiful longer because of the weather.
1: Oh yes, that's true. Yeah, they've been wonderful. To-
0: yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm curious to hear your answer to this one. Something you've eaten recently and loved.
1: Something that I ate
0: and loved. Yep.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, well, you cannot beat bread and butter. If you have extraordinary, <laughs> if you have extraordinary bread, extraordinary butter, it's really hard to beat. <laughs> you have a really a crunchy baguette too, and a fantastic butter. I tell you, yes.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love that answer from you. That's great. I was expecting something incredibly gourmet, but that's that's, but that's a better. The best incredibly
1: answer. gourmet. <laughs> yes, <it is. laughs>
0: Um, I miss cooking with my nana because he would make fresh sauce every Sunday, and there was no testing it with a spoon. It was only fresh Italian bread that was the only yeah. way to test the sauce. Oh,
1: yeah, so, of course,
0: yeah, yeah. So good bread, I get it. And the last question is: a gathering that you've been to that made you feel a strong sense of belonging?
1: Well, uh, the day before yesterday, uh, playing uh, bull with my friend, yeah. we went to play bull and we went to get some pizza. And we did a big salad and stuff. Yes. I mean, friends are very important to mm-hmm. share the food, to talk about it, yeah. especially to drink the wine. And we yes. do a lot of that. Yes. Yeah. yes.
0: <laughs> um, are you a red or white wine drinker or do you change?
1: Any, a, any free wine. Uh, <laughs> you know.
0: That's so funny. That's how I used to be. And I'm just starting to buy my own. So I'm experimenting. <laughs> <laughs> Depend uh, the time of the year. Yeah.
1: yeah. Time of the day, time of the year, whether it's hot and too, you want a glass sure. of rose, cold, or, you know, you yeah. have a steak, mm-hmm. or I want a glass of red wine. but it depends.
0: Yeah. Now, is there anything else we'll end here that you would want to encourage the every the modern day, everyday host with?
1: Well, as I say, you know, cook with love. You cannot cook indifferently. And you don't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be. I mean, you yeah. can go. You know, I show again my granddaughter uh, the other day. Uh, mm-hmm. I say, okay, here, let's be, let we go to the supermarket. I say, who, they just roasted chicken in the rotisserie. Let's buy a roast chicken. Bought a roast chicken. I get home. I bought Boston lettuce. I love Boston. Two big Boston lettuce. I spread out on a tray, you know, yeah. good olive oil too. I saute some garlic and shallots too yeah. and cut the chicken into pieces, put it on the salad and spread out the garlic, the shallots on top of this, with the chicken from the supermarket. It was great. Yeah. People loved it.
0: Of course, of course. Yeah, with love and with intention. Yeah, that's so yeah. good. I love that. Okay. Well, this coming week, we will be talking to your um, son-in-law, I think, to learn more oh, about good. the foundation. Yes. Great. Yes. So we'll be sharing more about your work with the foundation then.
1: Yeah, you a, a great job. Even uh, my daughter, I'm very lucky for that. And Tom, who does the outside,
0: okay. And then who
1: does Instagram, Facebook, the Goodness. foundation. I would never have done any of that stuff. <laughs> of course,
0: I know. I'm, I don't want to do it either. I don't blame you. Yeah. <laughs> it's intimidating. But you guys do an incredible job. You're an incredible team. And I love your heartbeat behind it. But we'll talk more about that then. Okay. Well, thank you so much. What an honor. And I just thank you for sharing your wisdom and um, your legacy just has impacted all of our homes um, across America in a beautiful way. I
1: I don't know about that, but Uh, thank you. (laughs) Thank you and happy cooking.
0: Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Next
0: week, guys. Have you ever felt that if only I could get a home makeover, I would feel so much more comfortable in my space? Well, listen, I have felt that way too, and I might just have the answer for you. If you are from Connecticut, Coastal Concepts Connecticut would love to work with you. Everything from wood flooring to window treatments and everything in between, they are sure to bring you the upgrade and the beauty that you are looking for to transform your space. Their goal is to offer customers with the best products, unrivaled customer support, attention to detail, and all at the best price. Guys, it is all from the comfort of your own home. Listen, if you are interested in reaching out or even calling to ask them a few questions, make sure to let them know that you heard about them from Making Room Podcast by Gather Intentional Living. Do you want to learn more? You could find them at Coastal Concepts Connecticut dot com or on Instagram at Coastal Concepts CT.